This is Michael Easley in Context. All things in moderation is the best approach. Mm -hmm. And just imagine Jesus, okay? Just imagine him here. We're going to lunch together and he says, well, where's your light menu? Like, what do you do that? If you really think about, would he sit down and have a greasy burger with a guy who needed to talk? I bet he would, right? So it's just kind of all things in moderation because then nothing has so much power. (gasps) Cake. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. We are talking today with Constance Rhodes in studio. Constance is the founder and CEO of Finding Balance, Inc. Constance, I love the title of your book, Life Inside the Thin Cage. Yeah, um, <laughs> sounds kind of drastic, probably. But it, what it came from was when I was first coming to recognize that my issues with food may be a problem, one day God kind of turned that light on and I realized that this thing that I thought was such a an easy way for me to manage life was actually sort of trapped me in a cage. And so when I when that perspective shifted, it became easier to want to do something about it. You describe yourself as a, was it a constant dieter? Was that what it was? Chronic. A chronic dieter. Uh, aren't all women? Yes. And most men? <laughs> yes. So uh, Self Magazine in 2008 did a study of 4,000 women and found that three out of four had some kind of eating issue. And it was a range of things from calorie prisoners, chronic dieters, emotional eaters. A lot of, a lot of folks do that. Um, obsessive exercisers. You know, there's all kinds of food obsessions. For me, I struggled most first with binge eating. Mm-hmm. So I was much heavier. And then when I got a grip on that, I was so afraid to ever gain the weight back that I just had the long, chronic diet that most people thought I was really good for doing. So it was really yeah. easy to mask it. So we're inundated by television commercials of Nutrisystems and Weight Watchers and all sorts of programs, all sorts of pills, all sorts of fat reduction, uh, things you can take, swallow, eat, do this, do that. Wow. Where do you start? So it, it's kind of funny because if you think about it, we spend $62 billion a year on diets. Okay, and just to put that in proper context, that same amount invested through World Aid would end world hunger. Okay, mm-hmm. so we, heard, we have this really interesting thing where we're spending a lot of dollars, a lot of time, a lot of energy, emotional energy, physical energy on diets. But what they found is that 95% of dieters regain everything they've lost within three years. So the cycle of just going on a plan, even though that is what people want, is usually, it usually backfires because the harder you try to not want something, what happens, right? The more the you, you want say, that thing. The you say, <laughs> so, don't eat that. exactly, that's exactly it. And so people will focus on the practical part of, well, if, it, I mean, it is true, calories in versus energy expended, you know, that's the equation. So if you do eat less, chances are, if your body's working properly, you will, you will, you know, weigh less. The problem is there's a lot of emotion tied into food, and we don't really talk about it. And as Christians especially, food is like the one acceptable vice, and it gets even stickier Mm -hmm. um, when we try and talk about it. Yeah, it's okay uh, to be overweight, to eat the way we want, all those type of things. There's, There's a little taboo going on. It's the clean thing. Yep. There's a clinical name for the clean thing. Yeah. It's called orthorexia. It's the obsession <laughs> with eating natural, pure food. <laughs> now, I need to play this for someone very close yeah, to me. Not my wife, someone people. else. <laughs> but I want to point this out because, you know, our name of our organization is Finding Balance, right? So that brings up the natural question, where is the balance? 
And so I heard Beth Moore give a talk years ago, and it, she pulled from 1 Corinthians 6.12. For me, everything is permissible, but I will not be a slave to anything. So if you want to eat clean and you're not a slave to it, that's okay. But if you start to get nervous and twitch when you're sitting at a family dinner or a meal with a friend because they've got something on the menu that you can't put in your body, then that's where you're looking at, okay, maybe I'm a slave to that. Well, and I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a food snob. Yeah. Cindy is too. When we go out to eat, we're a bit, you know, snobby. Now, yeah. <laughs> Cindy and I had this saying that we're all consistently inconsistent. That is, so if we're on a no carb thing for a time or no added sugar thing or no dessert thing for a while, then yet if we go out and celebrate, it's like, oh, let's go ahead and have the warm carrot cake at J. Alexander's. And so there you go. So what's the point then of the, of the torture of the no carb and the no whatever? And really all things in moderation is the best approach. Mm-hmm. And just imagine Jesus, okay? Just imagine him here. We're going to lunch together and he says, well, where's your light menu? Like, what do you do that? What do you spend hours in the gym like admiring his pecs in the mirror. I I don't know. Like if you really think about, would he sit down and have a greasy burger with a guy who needed to talk? I bet he would, right? So it's it's just kind of all things in moderation because then nothing has so much power. (gasps) Cake. If you have it all the time, you won't care about it. If you think it's okay. And then you'll make choices like, do I want to taste cake right now? Or do I want to taste something else Mm -hmm. and start making choices that way? You're raising uh, three children. Yes. You've got one daughter. One daughter. One daughter. I've got three daughters, one son. All three of my daughters went through struggles with body image, with eating issues. I'm looking at Barbies mm-hmm. they're growing up with. Makeup Obsession, 17 Magazine, which I guess, is that still around? Um, I don't know, but I think so. It, it was big when my girls were yeah. young. I mean, whether it was Britney Spears or the latest, you know, Gwen Stefani was one of my daughters. Love Gwen Stefani, most beautiful woman in the world. And as a dad, you're trying to say, hey, you are you are beautiful as a person. Your body image does not define you. But everywhere they look, and now we've got Facebook, and we've got Snapchat, and we've got Twitter feeds, and all this insanity where these children are being exploited. That you've got to have this figure, which is basically no figure. Correct. There's no one thing because you've got Kim Kardashian on one end and some others on the other. And certain parts of the body are highlighted sometimes and others aren't. And it is a challenge. It is a huge challenge. And I will say that one of the biggest reasons it's a big challenge, and I'm not saying anything about how you guys have raised your children, but I know from the women we work with that we have so many moms who hate their own bodies. So that message oh, the child is playing that, loudly the, the child in the home. that plays, uh, is playing dress up and says they're fat looking in the mirror. Exactly. They heard that somewhere. They hear it somewhere. And so in, in mine, you mentioned I have a daughter. So I remember when she was like five months old, I was holding her in the mirror. You know, she couldn't even barely open her eyes, right? Drooling. And I'm like, you're beautiful. You know, I was so afraid that she would develop an eating disorder. And I've spent the last seven and a half years brainwashing her at every moment. <laughs> and I've been very physical, like uh-huh. squeezing her bottom and talking about how awesome it is because it's so squishy and I love it and it's soft and I love your belly. And like, she now knows that if someone were to come up to her and say, you know, you're fat or your rear end is big or whoever they would, whatever they would say, she would say, my mommy loves my bottom, (laughs) you know? And I've just been training her that that's the proper response. And this is the kind of work that we can do, but we have to be comfortable with our own bodies before we can really spread that message. Would she have a Barbie? 
in her? Absolutely not. No. I don't have Barbies mm-hmm. in the house. Now, I, I say that I don't buy Barbies. She's been given a couple of dolls in that family, but mm-hmm. um, she knows I don't like them. Right. We don't get Barbie movies because I notice they really stretch the body type, super, super skinny and tall. And um, we're pretty aware of content that is in our home that she might see mm-hmm. to help shape uh, what a normal body looks like and all that. So as a result, I don't think she has any issues with her body at this point. She's only seven and a half, but um, those issues can start as young as three and girls as young as six are being treated for eating disorders. So we know we have to start sooner and sooner on these. That's, that's a that's a horrifying statement. It's a horrifying statement. We have to start sooner and sooner on these issues. My girls were in the teen years and the sleepover years is when it really started because now you're, you've got a, a gaggle of these junior high girls or whatever in, their, in somebody's house. And even if they're, quote, fine Christian homes or friends you know, you have no idea mm-hmm. what they're going to be up to. And now with these devices, with mm-hmm. iPhones and iPads and tablets, anything's available in a matter of seconds for them to it is i tend to be gorge. conservative i'm conservative with sleepovers because mm-hmm. i care about what movies they'll see and i'm conservative with social media so far my oldest is only 13 so we haven't had to fight the battle yet but i'll keep them off the social as long as i can which isn't realistic for everyone but some people would do well to take a break anyway even grown-ups from social media if they find it triggering constance you have written a lot you've written not only your book life inside the thin cage a personal look into the hidden world of a chronic dieter uh finding balance with food a 12-week study what is that about you know it's funny we actually piloted that at the church that you pastor uh, fellowship bible church in in brentwood and that is a 12-week journey through the the underneath stuff right because a lot of people would focus on how can i change what i'm eating so that i can lose weight that's most people's concerns and as i walked through my own eating issues it was more how did i get here what keeps me stuck and how can i move out So we walk through things uh, like identity issues and how we were raised, some of the things we've just been talking about, what was modeled to us, where does sex fit into it, which is different for each Mm -hmm. person, and how does community fit into it. So it's a really great guided journey through that. uses my book, actually, The Life Inside the Thin Cage book, um, as a textbook, and then there's a curriculum that goes along with that with video lessons and things to keep people on track. What would be the target age for that audience? I would say 18 and up. 18, okay. Undoubtedly, you deal with a lot of women who still come to you, have questions. Where do you start with them? I think one of the starting places is for them to be able to be honest about their own struggles. So at our website, for example, they can take a self-test. And that's sometimes the very first step it was for me to just admit, oh, maybe there's an issue here. Secondly, one of my favorite things that we're doing now is an online support program where they come in at whatever place they're on that continuum. Some are anorexic, some are bulimic, some are binge eaters, some are none of those things, but they know this is an issue. And they enter into an eight-week course with us that they can then, you know, re-up and do again and again and continue growing in the context of community. And our goal for that is that we want highly motivated people to come into that program They don't have all the answers, but they're motivated to change. They see how this is costing them in their marriages, their relationships, their work, whatever the case may be, and they want more freedom. And then the more freedom we see them get, the harder we push on them. (laughs) 
And sometimes they don't like that and they leave. But the ones who stick around, we see them just grow and grow. And so, you know, a year into the program, we have our first peer leader. Somebody who's gone through the program has grown so much and we are slowly and intentionally mentoring her to lead others. And that's the kind of model that we see happening. And that's exciting to them for a couple of reasons. One, to know they're not alone. Two, to begin to practice sharing their yuck and not be rejected. And three, that God stirs within them excitement about using their gifts and their callings as they break free to help other people out of the very area of weakness that they had, mm. which is super exciting to us to see. So we look at it as really mission work that we're doing, kingdom work. As people find that freedom, they're more able to be who God called them to be, whether doing stuff with us or with any other ministry effort that God might call them to. Beyond the cultural pressures, the uh, image idolatry that we have in, in print media and television and film, beyond those, why are we so obsessed with how we look in the mirror? Hmm. Well, God created us in his image, and he's a very creative guy. And he's a visual guy, I think, if you look around at nature. And so I think part of it is that, and I'm a very visual person, we, we, we like visual things and we develop a taste for certain visual things. That's one thing. Secondly, we're given messages like we talked about earlier from a very young age. If you look like this, you will get that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what I personally feel drives that need, whether it's to you know, have a really important job or have a lot of money or look a certain way or whatever the case may be, is because we have this void within us and we're lonely. And so I would say in a lot of the people we work with, we're f they're feeding their loneliness. Mm -hmm. You can feed it with food. You can feed it with stuff. You can feed it with um, control. That was my biggest struggle was control. I can control my diet when I feel lonely. Then I can focus on that and not how lonely I feel. Many years ago, I had a Christian psychiatrist friend. I asked him the question about eating because he was very large at the time. And we were good enough friends to <laughs> have that conversation. And he said, Michael, for me, it's love hunger. Yeah. He goes, when I have a, a, you know, a hamburger and French fries and you know, whatever it is, I feel good. Yes. I, I am satiating a void that I don't know how to, this is a psychiatrist, yep. that I don't have a way to fill in, uh, obviously he's married, he's got a family, he's very busy in his practice, but yet there was a loneliness and a love hunger for him and well, that made sense to me. And at the time, I'm in my 20s. I'm a stick. I could eat whatever I want. I wasn't there. But as I've gotten older, mm -hmm. <laughs> things Changes. have changed. Like, boy, it does feel good to have five guys in a large fry and a yeah. Coke. <laughs> well, there's actually a chemical thing happening in of your course. brain with those fattier, sugarier foods. There's a chemical thing happening. Um, it's interesting. There's an amazing book called Loneliness. It's way over my head. You'd like it because you're more intellectual than I am. Um, it's somewhat academic. But they studied a group of people and they did a little study where um, one control group, um, they said, you know, we're going to buddy you up with certain people. And so they took half of the group and they told them no one wanted to be your buddy. Okay. <laughs> The other group, they paired them up, okay? So you had one group that felt rejected and lonely, and you had kind one group that didn't, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they had them do an experiment. They said, well, here's what we were going to have you do with someone else, but no one wanted you. We need you to taste test these cookies. And they found that the people who felt lonely and rejected ate lots more of the cookies. So did they have the a support group. therapy for that group afterwards? You know, it was I mean, really an evil thing, but you had to smile a little bit about it, right? Because oh, it was just good. wrong and, and funny at the same time. But that is the point. And, and what we have to remember is that even as we're satiating that need, you know, and have that good feeling, 
it's not love, right? Because what follows it is guilt yeah. and shame, and that's the enemy's trap. Always give us that fake love, and then we we're follow it, chased by um, guilt and shame and hiding and fear and all that. Well, and truth be known, even when I paint that meal I'd love to eat, I feel miserable after I've yeah, eaten it. right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's okay to have a burger and fries, but yeah, like Once in sometimes a while, yeah. your body will just not... It says too much, yeah, time out. too much. When you look at the church you attend, the church that uh, we're part of, you look out in the room, what breaks your heart? Wow, you know, one of the things that breaks my heart, I went a month without makeup, actually while I was attending Fellowship Bible Church. And since then, it was many years ago since then, I have a lot of conversations about this and recognizing that going to church was the hardest thing for me during that month. And really asking that question, why? Why would church be harder to go to than a business meeting? Because I had those also that month. And recognizing how very terrified we are at church, to be honest with each other. And watching how women put the mask on the most at church. I think that breaks my heart the most. And that's why I'm a fan of taking my makeup off on stage sometimes when I do speaking things. Or, I mean, I still wear makeup. It's that balance again. But being willing to look at that, that and, and not be intimidated by that, but have a heart to say, this person doesn't feel safe enough here. What can we do as women in particular to really be more comfortable with who we are and support and love each other so that we can rock this world? Because really, women really should rule the world. You know, we're way more qualified than men at most things. My wife would agree. So, yeah. So that's the thing. But we are so um, insecure and shame-based that often we miss those opportunities. Most of what we're talking about is endemic here in Africa in uh, poorer parts of the world. We might have a little bit of this, but nothing like like we have with materialism, prosperity, as success and economy goes up. Williamson County, uh, you know, we live a lot of places, Cindy and I have. Williamson County is the Brentwood bubble. It's so interesting. There's a line in a Van Morrison song, the girls walk by dressed up for each other and the boys do the boogie woogie on the corner of the street. Yeah. And it's such a great picture of, you know, what is she wearing? What is she wearing? Guys are getting that way. Guys are getting oh. very much co- oh, more yes. conscious about this. Which is horrible. It, it's very interesting to me. Um, I was told I wore the wrong blue jeans when I first came. I remember that. Yeah, I wore you, the wrong. You did wear some weird things yeah, on stage, wrong, I have to yeah, say. It took you a while to jeans. really get the yeah, groove. Yeah, <laughs> I still only pay $20 for my jeans, so I refuse to pay $200. But no, that said, it, there's there's this first world issue, third world issue, whatever you want to call it, um, Wow. What do you- I would say that the difference is community, the structure of the community, the depth of the community. In those third world nations, you so we're have all phonies village, over here. Um, because we don't feel safe with each other and we haven't invested in real relationship. Uh, we, we are more interested in ourselves and in producing things to make us feel important often than in family time. You know, look at how busy we are, how fragmented we are as people. Uh, so you don't see a lot of family dinners. You don't see a lot of families bonding together. There's a lot a breakdown of the family unit. I would say that's the biggest difference between these other cultures. Now, in other cultures, you do have absent fathers a lot in some of those mm-hmm. cultures. But you have, a, you have a village. You have a village of people, community together. They're with each other. They're not divided in a million different directions. And as a result, people feel known and know each other. And that resolves a lot of that loneliness issue. A father is raising his little girl right now. He would die for her. She's the most precious, beautiful thing in the world. She's an infant. She's three. She's seven. She's daddy's little girl. What does he tell her? I think he tells her he's proud of her and he loves her. 
and he tries to emphasize things about her that he loves besides how she looks, but also how she looks. Okay, balance that for me, because as a dad, I was always, I'm going to encourage and exalt their character, not just their looks. Well, you said it exactly right then. Not just. But if you never say anything about their looks, they're going to wonder. True. So you've got to... You say they're pretty, they look, look nice that. on you, but at the same time, I don't want their identity to be... Absolutely correct. ...that pretty little girl. But you, but they do have to know that you do think that they're beautiful. There's a balance. Okay. So I would say like, okay, this one one child of mine is the most grateful child in the universe. And I always say, you're the most grateful person in the universe. And she still is. Yeah. That's, that's a great. character issue. Yes. So you want to focus on both. Okay. So my father had a really hard time praising me for things in my ministry because he didn't want me to be proud. Okay. Pride and was that's evil. a generational thing. Yeah. Don't get the big head. Exactly. And so as a result, uh-huh. until just the last couple of years, I never felt his approval of my work. Now, on the other hand, he might compliment me for how I looked. I will tell you, and we're going to speak on this together this summer at our conference, Hungry for Hope, but... We're going to talk about how once he started affirming me in the area of ministry, which I which mattered to me because he's a minister, and I needed to know that he thought mm-hmm. that I was not weird and wackadoodle, you know. Once he affirmed me in that way, it has radically changed my life. Interesting. So I think whatever area you might err to one side or the other, so then try to focus on the other one. I'm not going to state your age, but even at this age, you need... And that's what you, he said. You need your dad's yes. voice, though. Yes, he said that to me. He said, well, I, this, I think I brought it up when I was 36 with him. And I, he said, well, I guess at your age, I just didn't think you needed that anymore. And I'm like, yes, I do. And if you hear Michael Hyatt talk, I heard him and his wife speak recently. And they're like, your kid's even as they're grown up, need to know that you love them, you're proud of them, they need you to slip them a $20 bill once in a while. Like, they're still kids. Mm-hmm. They're still your kids always. So, yeah, try and look at how you don't affirm and then start doing that maybe more than how you would naturally affirm. Okay, you touched on it earlier, but what about the boys? I look at moms because I think I think we've got so many things messed up in the family system. I'm old school. I still think the dad's voice for his daughter is really strong, and I think the mom's voice for her son is really strong. Now, not that the others, it's unimportant. Okay. Yeah. So what does a mom tell the son? Hmm. Well. Because if, if as, as you said, his identity is now becoming how he looks, his hair, his clothes, the right labels more so and than- And these things we don't want our boys to be worried about. I'm so glad I'm not yeah. dating today because I just couldn't do the Metro thing. Um <laughs> I think the important thing there... Do the Metro thing. The that, metro that's thing. our tease right there, You know there, what guys. I'm talking about. I couldn't about. do the Metro thing. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but I think the important... I actually would disagree a little bit that I think the dad's voice in the boy is more important. No, no, no I'm not saying it's, it's not... I'm not saying it's more or less important. I think it's strategic. And I but think you're saying what should unique, the woman... Right. I think there's some unique things that my wife can say to our son that he won't hear from me. Okay. Well, I know with my son, he needs to know that I love him. And too often I'm critical of all of his areas, which is a woman thing, I think, that we are very quick to share our criticisms and how we want to change everything and control everything, right? Would you agree ever (laughs) that women are ever that way? And so he needs to hear from me that I love him. When he's playing the piano, I see him and he'll look at me like, are you listening? Are you listening? So he seems to need to know, same thing that I need to know from my dad. He needs to know that I see his talents, his abilities, he doesn't care if I tell him he's cute. I do tell him all the time. But he needs oh, to know I that I affirm those other pieces of yeah. it uh, so that he feels just safe at home because social life is pretty hard when you're a teenager. It is that. Constance, um, 
How can other people help? I think one of the first things is to not stereotype this issue. Be aware that three out of four women and lots of guys and young people have issues with food. Number two, be honest about your own issues. So people will say to me, how can I help my daughter? And I say, why don't you tell her how much you worry about your own Mm. stuff? You know, be honest about that. Um, Number three, I think you've got to know your boundaries. So it's probably not your job to uh, manage their diet for them, their weight for them, but you can certainly ask them how they're doing and present things you see that concern you, especially if it's a concerning situation, someone is particularly underweight or you see self-injury or different things related Mm -hmm. to these Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And fourth, I would say, ask God what next right step is for you. Maybe the next right step for you is to go look at your own issues. Maybe the next right step for you is to go pray for someone. Maybe it's to um, serve a ministry in some way that can help others. Everyone has a different next right step. Are you looking for yours or are you so busy building your own kingdom that you miss what God might be doing and asking you to join him in? So I think that's a key thing too. God's got a call for each one of us and are we following him in it? You can find out more about Constance on the site. And Constance, you've got a conference coming up. Yes, Hungry for Hope. This is the premier Christian conference for eating and body image issues. We have workshops for clinicians and for everyday people, parents, anyone who's impacted by this issue. Uh, This is June 25 through 27 at the factory in Franklin. And we would love, love, love to have you join. Some of our special guests are J.J. Heller a great recording artist, friend of ours, and uh, Jennifer Dukes-Lee wrote the book Love Idol. The theme of the conference is Love Well, and you will get your butt kicked, but in a loving way. <laughs> so I really hope that people, way, yeah. in a Christian sort of way. <laughs> so yes, if you want, if you're looking for freedom or want to be a part of that answer for people, come, come be part of that. Thanks, Constance. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.